You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. I met my ex in college. He was my first love. I thought we had the perfect relationship. We have something special. We have something different. I, uh, I had scales on my eyes. I was very naive at the time. Every relationship I had with a man was sexually intimate. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I found out my ex had been cheating on me with multiple different women for several years. That's when the Lord really started to open my eyes. And I saw for the first time that I had put a man in the place of God when everything was just crashing down around me. I felt like there was this huge mountain before me and I didn't know how to overcome it on my own. And I said, God, where are you? And do you even care? Why am I going through this? The Lord really took me out and to a kind of a wilderness experience. Once I gave my life to Christ, I would like to tell you that everything just fell into place, but it didn't. It was a daily struggle to die to myself and my will and truly seek the Lord's will for my life. So I started asking the Lord hard questions like, do you really want me to save myself for marriage? And if so, does anybody do that anymore? And does anybody attractive do that anymore? And he showed up and started answering that question. And so I just committed to honoring the Lord in every area of my life. And people used to look at me and say, your standards are too high. That guy doesn't exist. And I would just say, you don't know my God. I told God, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I will. And it didn't keep me from praying for a man, a husband. The Lord did bring a man into my life, my now fiance, Joshua, and we are both committed to honoring God in our engagement, um, in our relationship, in purity. I feel like I've made it to the top of the mountain and I can look out and see the hand of God in every single struggle, in every single hurt and tear not a single thing was wasted. Yeah. yeah, thank you for thanking Christy for sharing her story. It, it takes a lot of boldness to do that and to go from buying into the culture's lies regarding what we should do with our bodies to sexual purity, which God tells us to do. 
Um, you know, I have thought a lot about this. I, I wish in, in the 6,000 plus who come here on the weekend at all the six campuses that I could sit down with each one of you one-on-one -on -one and disciple you to faithfully follow Jesus. I, I wish I could do that. I obviously can. I try to do that every week from up front. But what I have done is I've written books, and, and this is my most recent one called From Sup Superficial to Significant. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, gosh, he's hawking his books. I'm not. Uh, this is what I believe it means to follow Jesus. It's 10 points, and it, it, they're available in the foyer. If you have some money, uh, $10, it all goes to missions. I don't profit one penny from it. I don't want to. Uh, but its purpose is to help you one-on-one -on -one sit down with me. And as you read this, learn what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. So that's available out there. Again, if you don't have the 10 bucks, just take it. I don't care. I just want you all to faithfully follow Jesus. That's my passion. That's what I live for every single day of my life. In fact, today's text is one of those texts which calls us to faithfully follow Jesus. So let me introduce it by asking this question. How many of you like to eat? Oh, man, come on, food, yeah. Now, we need to, though, eat healthily, don't we? Uh, we need to eat good stuff. So we need a balanced food diet. That means that we try to stay away from bad carbs, processed foods, sugars, you know, all of those things. We need then, on the other hand, to drink lots of water, uh, also exercise, but then have veggies and vegetables, I mean, and uh, fruit and other things uh, in our lives that allow us to have a balanced diet. Now, the truth is, as we need a balanced food diet, we need a balanced spiritual diet. We need a balanced spiritual diet. Now, you know me well enough to know that I love to encourage you. I love to give you hope. When you're despondent, I love to say, but God's in control. It's the cheerleading part of me. But here's the truth. If I just give you that, I'm not giving you a balanced spiritual diet. Uh, Jonathan Scott, when he was going through the loss of his beloved Kathleen recently, um, he went online and watched a couple of guys who were known as the encouraging preachers. Other people have criticized them for not having a balanced diet. And I asked Jonathan what he think. He said, well, at my point in my life, they really encouraged me. So I see a place in preaching for people who encourage. It's helpful. But if those guys and me don't also tell you the tough stuff, which is what this series is entitled, Tough to Swallow, the Difficult Teachings of Jesus, I'm not offering you a balanced spiritual diet that makes you spiritually healthy. I'm called to encourage and exhort you. I'm also called to warn you about what Jesus clearly taught. Now, some of you, with what I'm about to give, are going to go, oh, man, this is spiritual broccoli. <laughs> I don't really like this a whole lot. And that's okay. You need to eat broccoli. Now, others of you are going to go, man, that's spiritual protein. It's almost like Red Bull. I mean, it's engaging my heart and making me excited. And that's what I want to have happen today. So let's go to one of the difficult teachings of Jesus, a tough-to-swallow teaching of Jesus, Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 23 through 27, out of reverence for the scriptures reading, if you're able, would you now please stand? Now, before I read the scripture to you, let me give you its context, because to take a text out of context is pretext. You need to know what's going on before you understand the text itself. So here's what's happening. Jesus had just heard from Peter 
the first person ever to proclaim him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, that must have been exciting. Finally, they know who I am. Then he responds and says, but the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer on a cross and then be raised from the dead. So, so he predicted that he was going to suffer horribly on a cross, the most severe punishment possible in that day, and then be raised from the dead. So within that context of the Son of Man having to suffer because of the will of God upon his life, he then told his disciples these words. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to all, all of those gathered listening, if anyone would come after me. So now this is to Christians. If anyone would come after me, if anyone calls him or herself, a follower of Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man, parenthesis, or woman, if he or she gains the whole world or forfeits themselves? Mark's gospel, Mark 8, in this teaching, uses the word soul instead of himself or herself. So what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Powerful question. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, notice the connection between Jesus and his words. Jesus is Lord. What are his words? It's this book. So whoever is ashamed of Jesus and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, so this teaching is addressed to all who are here today. Why to all? Because Jesus wants to make sure if you choose to follow him, you know what you're getting into. I think every evangelist and every preacher or anyone who offers someone to receive Jesus needs to clearly outline beforehand what you're getting into. So this is for all people, Christians and any considering to be Christians. And then he says, if anyone, that's for Christians. If anyone would come after me who chooses to follow Jesus, here are three things that need to happen. He chooses three powerful verbs to describe what it means to follow Jesus. First of all, you need to deny self. You need to deny self. Not take a selfie. Dear friends, we live in a selfie culture. You know, Put it out on Instagram and be popular. It's a culture that's all about me that makes me the center of everything. Jesus did not say, if you want to follow me, take a selfie. He said, if you want to follow me, deny self. That's what Christy was saying. When she chose to follow Jesus, she gave her life totally to him. She trusted him for a husband, but she chose to be sexually pure. She chose to go against the grain of this culture's sexual teachings. Now, Jesus' teaching about human sexuality is that it's supposed to be used solely within the parameters of a committed marriage relationship between a man and a woman. 
our culture teaches this body is yours. Do whatever you want to with it, whenever you want to with it. There are no boundaries whatsoever. You see where that's taking us. If every person would follow Jesus' teachings about sexual purity, just imagine how many problems in our society would go away within a generation. So when Christy decided to follow Jesus, she drew parameters around her life because she knew what Jesus taught. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what he demands. And she knew that those teachings weren't to deny her privilege and pleasure. She knew they were for her own good. So she chose to deny herself to follow Jesus. Another place where you see it in our culture is in the issue of abortion. If I may be honest with you, what the Bible teaches is this. When you receive Jesus, remember this teaching from Jesus is from him and for Christians. If anyone chooses to follow him, they understand 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul said, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that your body is not yours. It's not yours. It's given as a gift from God in heaven. It was purchased through Jesus' death on the cross. And therefore, it belongs to him. Now, recently in one of the states, a female governor signed into law a restrictive measure on abortion saying they can't happen after the first beat of the baby's heart. And outside when she was signing that bill were a group of people yelling out, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. Dear friends, that's what the culture believes. It's your body. You can do with it whatever you want to do with it. But Jesus said, it's not your body. It's my body. And it's not your choice. It's obedience to me to do my will above all else. Now, now believe me, for those of you who've gone through the trauma and pain of abortion, you need to know the grace of God, the forgiveness of Jesus is there to flood your soul. Nevertheless, it's a good example regarding the difference between what the culture teaches and what Jesus teaches about denying self. Some people say to me occasionally during the Lenten season, I've given up XYZ for Lent. That's 40 days. Now, I always scratch my head and go, well, is it bad for you? during the other 325 days? And if it is, why are you just giving it up for 40? The truth is, if you're called by Jesus, you're to deny yourself whatever's bad for you because he owns your life and you want to please him above all else. It, probably the greatest denial came from Jesus himself. Think about this. Christians believe one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A mystery, yes, but nevertheless taught in Scripture. That in our sin we rebelled against God. Our trajectory is eternal separation from God. That's the warning I need to give you all the time. If you don't have Jesus' forgiveness, your trajectory is eternity separated from God. But God so loved the world that he became one of us. God the Father turned to the Son and said, would you be willing to take on human flesh and be birthed in a, baby, in a stable in Bethlehem 
And would you be willing to die having lived the perfect life that none of these humans can live because they're filled with sin and take my wrath, my punishment on their sin upon yourself so that I can forgive them and have a relationship with them again? And the son said, yes. Aren't you glad he did? But can you imagine what that meant in his heart? Surely Jesus looked at the splendor of heaven, then looked at the squalor of this earth. Don't you think he paused for just a moment? And he imagined the pain of a crucifixion? And yet he denied self. Why? To follow the Father's will so that we can have the gift of eternal life. Jesus said, if you want to follow me first, you've got to deny self. One other thought here is when the devil tempted the evil one, and I don't know if you believe in a devil or not. Personally, I've met the sorry son of a gun on several occasions. And he's always got the same strategy that he used with Jesus, he tries with us. If you read the temptation narratives in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, it was basically this temptation. Jesus Get the crown without the cross. Possess the crown, but bypass the pain. And, of course, he does the same thing with us. Enjoy life to the full, but don't deny yourself anything. And, of course, it's a lie that leads to hell itself. What have you denied? Yourself to follow Jesus. Secondly, he said, take up your cross. How often? He said, daily. Now, some people have said, oh, that means all the tough stuff I have to deal with every day. My challenges, my traumas. It does not mean that. Now, certainly the Lord will be with you as you deal with those traumas and trials. But take up your cross daily means basically when you choose to follow Jesus, you know that you have chosen perhaps to be willing to give your life for him. His cross was him giving his life for us. He says, follow me. The pupil's not greater than the teacher. That may be required of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian in Germany, gave his life under Hitler's regime because he loved Jesus. And he wrote a book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. There's a famous phrase in it where he said, When someone is bid to come and follow Jesus, he bids you to come and die. It's the missionaries Marilyn and I met in Nepal several weeks ago as we were traversing some of the most remote mountain villages in the Himalayan area possible. And these Christian missionaries are trying to reach them with the gospel. One of them told us that at night when his children go to bed, he does not read them Mother Goose. He doesn't read them Dr. Zeus. He doesn't read them Christopher Robin. He reads them Fox's Book of Martyrs. The most famous book ever written about the martyrs from Jesus' day onward. The reason he does that is not to be morose, but to help them understand that the reason he and his wife left the comforts of America and moved to the squalor of Nepal is because they wanted those people to know Jesus. And they knew that though they were called, they weren't guaranteed they'd ever come back. 
They wanted their children to know that from the very beginning. That's what Jesus is saying. If you have chosen to follow him, you take up your cross to follow him. Thirdly, he says, not only deny self and take up your cross daily. Thirdly, he says, follow me. Follow Jesus. It means you imitate Jesus. It means as he lived, you live. It means as you look at his life in the scriptures, you see that as being God's perfect will for humanity. That's the mirror against which you compare your life and you say, God, I'm following him. I'm not following the godless meanderings of this culture. I'm going to follow God in human flesh to please you above all else. You stand against a selfie culture that has no boundaries. You choose to follow Jesus. Now, what's interesting is after Jesus teaches those three verbs, deny self, take up your cross daily, and follow me, he then talks about your most valuable possession in verses 24 and 25. You know what that is? It's not your car. It's not your house. It's not even your family. Here is your most important possession. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you spend your life trying to gain the tawdry baubles of this world, at the end of your life, you will have lost your life. But those who use their life for the sake of Jesus, who follow him faithfully, you'll save your life. You'll have a heavenly reward beyond anything you could have imagined. When you receive Jesus' salvation, his forgiveness of your sins by grace and faith, you're guaranteed entrance into heaven, and then the more you faithfully follow him, you have eternal rewards. Then he asked this powerful question, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Again, Mark's gospel, or forfeits his soul. That's your most valuable possession, your eternal soul. You are not a, a, a soul that has a body. You are a body that has a soul. And, and that's what makes you who you are. That's your eternal value. You could have all the world has with all of its splendorous fame and promises, but if you don't have Jesus, you lose your soul. That's what he's warning. And it's something all of us need to consider here. It's a chilling thought. Paul echoed it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, when he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Come on, read it all with me. Will be? Persecuted. All who try to live a godly life will be persecuted. You know why when you try to live a godly life and stand against the culture, you'll be persecuted? Is because the culture hates it that somebody's holding up a mirror to who they should be. Then Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You're not greater than the teacher, Jesus. If you're his pupil, his follower, what happened to him probably is going to happen to you. 
What kind of negativism have you experienced in your life because you've chosen to faithfully follow Jesus? <laughs> and then Jesus says something remarkable next, that there's going to be accountability for how you've chosen to live your life. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the boundaries I set, what I teach, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Gulp. You know, I oversee a lot of people, and I know that if you don't hold people accountable, you'll probably not get work, good work done from them. People don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. And every leader in here knows what I'm talking about. Jesus knows that. He says, one day, as I died on the cross to forgive your sins, as I was raised from the dead to prove that that cross's message is true, then I ascended to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. There's going to be a day when the Father turns to the Son once again, and like he did the first time, and asks, will you go as an incarnation of God in human flesh and that baby in the manger? The Father's going to say to the Son, will you go again? And the son's going to say, again, yes, but this time he does not come as a gaggling baby, but he will come as a conquering king. And he will come in a cloud of glory, the very glory of the Father in heaven itself. And he will return with the angels themselves as a part of his army. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. That means that all people who've died before he comes again are in some kind of holding pattern. All of them will be before the judge of the universe one day. Those of us who are living, should he come back when we're alive? Those of us who believe will be caught up with him in the clouds. But everyone who's living will also face that judgment seat. And for those of us who do believe, he'll declare us not guilty because he paid the penalty on the cross. Not guilty. Now, I talk with a lot of different atheists out there. That The atheism movement has garnered strength in America. And I've argued with them regarding the scripture and science and natural law as proofs of the existence of God. We don't ever get anywhere. And I've concluded the major reason is because the vast majority with whom I meet don't believe in God because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable for how they've lived their lives. But Jesus said very clearly one day, I'm coming back and I'm going to judge everyone and I'm going to hold you accountable. And here's what's most chilling. He said, for those who are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you before the Father. A lot of study is being done today by different social scientists regarding shame. There is a desire among some to completely eliminate it from our culture. They don't want it to ever be seen. And I understand in some places where it's awful and we need to eliminate that part of shame. But dear friends, another synonym for shame is embarrassment. We should be embarrassed 
by the ways we've lived a selfie culture. And if you take that embarrassment away from the culture, no one will ever feel the embarrassment that should drive them to the cross of Christ. Now, I believe with all my heart, if you feel that shame and are driven to the cross, Jesus absorbs all of that shame on the cross and you're forgiven. You have a new identity and you never need to return to that shame. But for those who don't know the Lord, this is a terrible message that needs to be addressed. The prophet Jeremiah looked at the nation of Israel. He saw its continual cultural demise, its rejection of God, its desire to seek self above all else. He looked at that and he made a chilling prophecy to them. He said, you are a nation that has forgotten how to blush. America is increasingly becoming a nation that is forgetting how to blush, how to be embarrassed. But in a good way, have that shame drive them to the cross. Jesus said, when I return, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. If the world doesn't know you're one of my followers and you're embarrassed by that, I'll be embarrassed about you. It's a chilling comment from Jesus. When I first came to Forest Hill Church, it's hard to believe, June the 29th, 1980 was my first sermon here. The time has sped by. It's like a blur. On that first Sunday, I chose as my text Romans, the first chapter, verse 16. And here are the words. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. I did that because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, folks. What is the gospel? It means good news. But before you claim the good news of Jesus' forgiveness of your sins, you need to understand the bad news. The bad news is the warning that if you don't receive Jesus, you're going to spend eternity separated from him. Jesus came to us as a baby to die on the cross as a rescue mission. As real as if one of your children were kidnapped by someone taken to a foreign place, you would turn over heaven and hell until you found your child to rescue them and bring them home. Another biblical picture is a ransom had to be paid. In our sin, we owe God a debt we cannot pay. But Jesus came and paid the debt on the cross to give it to us to set us free from the burden of sin and death. The gospel is the reception of that forgiveness, but it's also the power of God to overcome any and every problem you're presently facing. You have addictions, I can tell you story after story of people who believed in the gospel, the good news of Jesus' redeeming power, who over time have been set free from their addictions. I can show you marriages that came in here broken, couples angry at one another, could have just killed each other in the name of Jesus. 
And I taught them about the power to forgive. And their marriages are whole and well today. You feel lonely? The gospel gives you the presence of Jesus. You feel hopeless? The gospel gives you a future and a hope. I'm not ashamed of it. Well, that was the text I chose for June the 29th, 1980. My sermon was entitled, My Last Sermon at Forest Hill. And people who came in looked at the bulletin and thought, this guy is nuts. We just called this tall, dark-haired, if you can believe that or not, pastor, and his title is My Last Sermon at Forest Hill. And here's how I unpacked it, folks. I said to them, I'm saying to you today, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to change you, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And if this was my last sermon at Forest Hill, here's what I'd preach. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to change your life and take you to heaven. My passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing the church really has to offer the world that the world doesn't have. Yes, go serve the poor. The world serves the poor. Yes, go care for trafficking victims. The world cares for trafficking victims. The one thing, though, the world doesn't have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel? For those who follow Jesus, we can't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. So as we ready ourselves for this table, did you eat some spiritual broccoli today? Or I hope it was a protein shake, maybe. To move you closer to him. Let me ask you these questions to prepare your heart for the Lord's table. What have you denied yourself to follow Jesus? Who is offended by your devotion to Jesus and the gospel? What has following Jesus cost you? Are you faithfully following Jesus in every area of your life? Do your feelings or God's word define your reality? Finally, do people in your sphere of influence know you desire to follow Jesus? Do they know?